Please take your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Genesis, very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be reading uh, verses 8 through 17 of Genesis 9. We are continuing our series on covenant theology. Uh, We have looked so far at the covenant of redemption, uh, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace. And tonight we're going to look at what is known as the Noahic covenant. That is um, God's covenant with Noah. Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh." When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What would you say are some of the most uh, defining moments of the 21st century? If someone were to ask you to to make a list of the most world-changing events of the last 23 years, what might you put on that list? 9-11, for sure. Uh, Maybe the launch of the iPhone in 2007. Same-sex marriage was legalized in all 50 states in our country in 2015. COVID, the COVID pandemic of of 2020, and and surely there are a number of other things that are defining moments of our century, things that have changed our nation and our world for both good and for bad. I bring this up because in the first seven chapters of the Bible, just the first seven chapters of, of Genesis, two absolutely cataclysmic events took place on this earth. Two world-changing events take place in the first seven chapters of the Bible. The first one, of course, was the fall of Adam into sin in chapter 3. And the second one is the flood that God sent upon the entire world in Genesis chapter 7. Both of those things forever changed our world. Now, God responded to the first event, the fall of man into sin. He responded to that with the promise of a Savior. We looked at that last Sunday night. And he he follows up. He, He responds to the second event. He responds to the flood with another promise. And that is what we know as the Noahic covenant, God's covenant with 
Noah. And so there are two questions that we want to answer tonight. First of all, what is the Noahic covenant? And, and secondly, how does the Noahic covenant apply to me? What is it? And how does it apply or how does it relate to me? As I said to you when we started the series three weeks ago now, uh, the word covenant is, is one that is used frequently in the Bible. We use it a lot in our circles, our reform circles, properly so. Uh, but it's one that comes up often in Scripture. It's used about 280 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. And it's used over 30 times in the New Testament. Well, our passage tonight, Genesis 9, actually contains the very first use of the word covenant in the Bible. Now, now certainly the, the concept of covenant is present. It's, it's present in the covenant of works in chapter 2. It's present, present in the covenant of grace in Genesis chapter 3. But this is the first time that the actual word covenant is used. Now, most of us here tonight um, know the backstory of this passage. You all know that in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, things were really bad on this earth. Listen to what we read in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was a time of, of rampant wickedness. It was a time of, of horrible, evil sin. And, and God determined that he was going to destroy every person in the world except for Noah and his family. And, and children, you remember what happened? God goes to Noah and he tells Noah to build an ark. And, and then to, to take his family and two of every animal inside that ark. And, and Noah was obedient. Noah did what God told him to do. He built the ark. He, he took his family inside the ark. He took the animals inside the ark. And, and it rained for a long time. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. We, we think we've had a lot of rain this, this year. Well, 40 days and 40 nights of rain and the entire earth was flooded. This was a worldwide flood. But Noah and his family and all the animals inside that ark were safe. Well, eventually, after 150 days, the, the floodwaters subsided. And, and Noah and his wife and his sons and his daughters-in-law and, and all the animals exited the ark. They got off the ark. And it's at this point that, that God now makes this covenant with Noah. And as I said to you this morning at the end of our service, this is a covenant he's made with you, everyone in this room. Everyone watching. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. God has made this covenant with you. All people. God has made this covenant. It's a very broad covenant. You will notice uh, verse 9. He says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you. This, this isn't like the covenant of grace. We looked at this last Sunday night where God makes a covenant with believers and their children. This is not a covenant that God only makes with believers. This, is, this isn't even a covenant that God only makes with human beings. This is a covenant that God makes with all life. God says the same thing in verse 12. He says, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. 
This is, this is unique in Scripture in that this is a covenant with all life. This is why this is sometimes referred to as the common grace covenant. It's, it's God's kindness. It's his general goodness, his general graciousness toward all of life. And this teaches us something about the character of God. This tells us something about who our God is. You know, the God of many other world religions is just nothing but continually angry, wrathful, always, vengeful, always. But the one true God, the God of the Bible, has a a general love for all of his creation. In Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus says that the Father makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Both believers and unbelievers receive this common goodness, this common kindness. And and so God says to Noah, I'm going to make this covenant between me and and all life. And, And notice what this covenant is in verse 11. He says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. We all know this covenant, most of us anyway. We know that God says here, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. If if you go back to to chapter 8, if you have your Bible open, you'll notice something similar in chapter 8, verse 22. While While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God preserves the seasons. He will continue to uphold and sustain the necessary climate for for life to continue on earth. Now something that's important to note is that this is not a salvation covenant, is it? The covenant of redemption is about uh, what the triune God did for the sake of our salvation. The covenant of works ultimately reminds us that, that Jesus came to fulfill perfectly the covenant of works because Adam didn't and because we couldn't. And the covenant of grace, of course, reminds us of the, the blessings that come to us because of the work of Christ. But the covenant with Noah, the, the Noahic covenant, is different. The Noahic covenant doesn't relate to our salvation. Instead, it relates to the continuation of life here on earth. And so God says, this is my covenant. Noah, this is my covenant between me and you and, and, and all living creatures. The seasons will continue. And I will never again send a worldwide flood upon this earth. And then you'll notice that God gives a sign of this covenant. Covenants often contain signs. For example, the The sign of the covenant of works was the tree of life. The sign of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament was circumcision. In the New Testament is baptism. And here God gives a sign for this covenant. Look at verse 12. And all of you know what this sign is. God says this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. Children, you could come up here and preach this sermon at this point. You could come up here and say, the rainbow is the sign that God has given for the covenant with Noah. And you'd be right. 
God says, I will place a rainbow in the sky as a a reminder that I will never again destroy the world with a flood. But there's something interesting in this idea of a rainbow. If you have your Bible open, if you look at verse 13, you'll notice that God calls it what? A bow. Doesn't say rainbow. It says bow. Interestingly, the Hebrew word can be translated either way. It can be translated rainbow, but it can also be translated bow like a bow and arrow. If you've ever been to Bass Pro before, you you go upstairs, the second level Bass Pro, and there's a place where you can go and you can shoot arrows with your bow. And and so this this word that is translated bow here can either refer to a rainbow in the sky or it can refer to a bow, like a bow and arrow bow. Now in the Bible, a bow is often referred to as a weapon of war. It's a weapon of judgment. Psalm 7 says this, If a man does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. Pictures that God is waiting And if a man, a person, will not repent, God will fire, ultimately, his arrow of judgment at that person. Now, children, if you're going to use a bow and arrow to shoot something, what position is your bow in? Your bow is vertical, right? The bow is being held. You don't don't lay the, the bow flat and shoot this way. You have your bow vertical, up and down. That's how you hold the bow if you're going to shoot an arrow at someone. In fact, very interestingly, in, in ancient art, in ancient Near Eastern art, people or victorious armies were, were typically pictured as returning home with their bows in the horizontal position, meaning the war was over. They were done fighting. They were done shooting their arrows. The the art showed it laying flat. Now here's what is really cool about this passage. Take a look at verse 16. When the bow is in the clouds, God says, I will see it. And I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Do you know what a bow, a rainbow, looks like from outer space? Did you know that it looks different from outer space than how we see a rainbow here on earth? Children, you know, and and most of you, I'm I'm assuming, have seen rainbows before. When When you see a rainbow, it's this big arc, right? Big arc. But from outer space... When a rainbow is seen, the, the, the rainbow is flat. It's horizontal. You see the picture? God is on his throne in heaven. And he looks down upon the earth. And he sees a rainbow. And that rainbow is flat. What that rainbow is saying is that the war is over. The battle is done. God will never again destroy the earth with a flood. It's beautiful imagery because God is the one who says, I will see that rainbow. 
I will look down and will will see that instrument that is often pictured as a weapon of war, and I will see it laying flat, and I will remember my promise never to destroy this earth again with a flood. Now, this covenant is what we call unilateral. In other words, God's covenant to to never destroy the world again with a flood is not dependent on anything that we do. God doesn't say, okay, if you you do this and this and this, I, I won't send another flood. No, he just says, I will never send another flood. Some covenants that we make in this life, some agreements that we make in this life are bilateral. For example, if you have a loan on your car, that is a bilateral covenant. The bank agreed to give you the money to purchase the car with your agreement that you would over time pay that money back. There's two sides to that covenant. The covenant with Noah is is unilateral. It's a one-sided covenant. It's all about God's promise here. It's not dependent upon us. That doesn't mean that the Noahic covenant doesn't call us as human beings to do anything. Theologian Meredith Klein once said this. He said, regulations governing mankind's conduct were included in the Noahic covenant, but no commitments were exacted from man on which the continuance of the covenant itself might be dependent. In other words, Klein was saying that there are certain conducts that are part of the covenant, but that conduct is not in any way going to change what God promises in the covenant. And so notice three things here. First of all, within this covenant, God calls the world to be fruitful. If you look at verse 1, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This also is part of the Noahic covenant. Mankind is called to, to procreate. Animals are called to procreate. What this means is that marriage is a good thing. Having children is a good thing. God says be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Secondly, within the the Noahic covenant, we notice also that God gives us all things for food. Look at verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So enjoy your bacon. Enjoy your steaks. God has given us good food to eat. It's part of his covenant promise. And third, and this is also important, human life is sacred. Human life is sacred. Look at verse 5. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Capital punishment is biblical. God has tasked human government with a calling to hold human life in high regard. And when our civil leaders don't do that, they should hear from us. When our civil leaders don't uphold human life, the sanctity of human life, they should hear from us. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. 
It's in the New Testament as well. Romans 13 verse 4 says that the civil authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now again, these three things are not just meant for the church. Don't forget, this is, a, this is a covenant that God makes with all of life. This is what all people are called to. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy the good gifts God graciously gives to you. Protect human life, the sanctity of human life. Now connecting this with our series in Revelation in the mornings, isn't it true that the first of the dragon uses the first beast, which is godless, anti-Christian government, isn't it true that the dragon uses godless government to reject these three things? Marriage is not seen as that big of a deal. Gay marriage obliterates the command to be fruitful and multiply. Why have children? They're just going to be a bigger burden on you, a bigger burden on your career. For years, the, the Chinese government has put a limit on how many children people can have. If you get pregnant and it's inconvenient for you, if you, you, you just aren't ready for a child, go ahead and murder that child in the womb. It's okay. And when it comes to taking another human life, we, we see in our own country that our government seems to take God's command of capital punishment far less seriously than it's taken in God's word. Spotted owls are cared for more than unborn children. And we could go on and on, but we see, don't we, how, how the dragon uses the government to deny these three things that come out very clearly here in the Noahic Covenant. Well, how does the Noahic Covenant apply to me? We, we know what it is. We know what God promises. We know the sign of the Noahic Covenant. What does this have to do with me as a Christian? Let me give you four things. First of all, the Noahic Covenant reminds us of the kind of love that we are to show to all people. The verse that I read from earlier uh, in Matthew 5 where, where Jesus says the Father sends uh, rain and sunshine on the just and the unjust, that verse is not just taken in isolation. That verse is set in a context. And I want you to see that context now. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You see, this covenant is not, is not something that is just designed for our own head knowledge. This is a, it should impact us. It should impact our, our marriages. This should impact our families. This should impact our, our churches. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven notice for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust see the point Jesus is making he says you know out out there in the world it, it's it's common that you will love your neighbor it's common that you will love people who are like you it's also common that you'll hate your enemy. Jesus says, though, look, if, if God can show love to his enemies, if, if God can, can send blessings upon those who in no way deserve those blessings, 
How can you not love other people, even those who oppose you? Typically, we have no problem showing love to our family and our friends, to people who are like us, to people who have similar hobbies and interests as we do. But, but the Bible calls us to model the love and the compassion of God to all people. You've heard me say this before, but, but this, is, um, this is critical that we have this mindset in our congregation. Not everyone walking through those doors is going to be reformed. Not everyone walking through those doors is going to understand reformed theology like we do. Not everyone walking through those doors is going to go, oh, Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, or Sinus and Olivianus, guilt, grace, gratitude, I love that. Not everyone's going to say that. Not everyone's going to know what we know. Not everyone's going to have grown up in Ripon or presently live in Ripon. Will we show love to them? Will we show kindness to them? Will we take an interest in them? Or will we retreat to our own little huddles while they stand by themselves? It's crucial that as a church we have this this mindset that we are called to love people. All people the Lord brings to us. Children, it's almost the end of the school year, and you might tune me out at this point because you go, oh, I've got two weeks of school left, but you still need to hear this. At school, you're going to find students who get on your nerves. You're going to find students who aren't like you and who bother you. You're going to find students who you just naturally wouldn't really connect with. But the Bible calls you, as it calls me and everybody in this room, to show kindness to all people. That's not always easy. But we are called to show kindness to all people. To, if possible, be at peace with all people. That's not always possible. But we're supposed to try our best. Galatians 6.10 says that so that while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. And so that's the first way that the Noahic covenant applies to us. We, we see in this covenant God's general disposition toward the world, his general love toward the world. That is to be our general disposition toward all people. We love people. We're kind to people. We speak to people kindly at the grocery store, at the, at the restaurant, at school, at work. That's what is to characterize the Christian. Secondly, the Noahic covenant reminds us that God is faithful. He's so faithful. Remember what I told you when we started the series. If, if God takes the covenant vow... The covenant cannot be broken. That was true of the covenant of redemption. But if man takes the covenant vow, the covenant can be broken. That was true in the covenant of works. Children, who takes the vow here in the covenant with Noah? 
God or Noah? God takes the vow. And this is a reminder to us that this this promise will never be broken. God will never go back on his word. Now this is not just true of the promise that God makes in this covenant. This is true of any promise that God makes. Years ago there was a man named Herbert Locker. Herbert Locker wrote a, a book in 1962. He was a 20th century English pastor. He wrote a book in 1962 called All the Promises of the Bible. And according to Locker, there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. Now, I have not personally verified that number, but we all know the Bible contains a lot of promises. When you see a rainbow in the sky, children, when it's a... It's been a rainy day, and and all of a sudden there's a rainbow, and you look, you're maybe driving down the road with mom and dad, and you look and see a rainbow. I want you to say to yourself, God will never break even one of his promises. Not one promise has God ever made that he will break. So that's the second thing this covenant teaches us. God is faithful. Faithful. Third, the Noahic covenant reminds us that we never have to worry that God will destroy this world in some kind of natural disaster. You never have to fear that God is going to destroy this world through a gigantic tsunami. Several years ago, I think it was um, 2011. I was um, traveling with our youth group to the RYS convention. It was taking place at Dort University uh, in Sioux Center, Iowa in 2011. And we flew into um, Omaha, Nebraska. And then we got on a bus and we rode for about two and a half hours to the, the campus of Dort in Sioux Center. And I don't mean to offend anyone here who's from the Midwest, but there's not a whole lot to see between Omaha and Sioux Center, right? You know what it's like if you've been there. Beautiful place, wonderful people, but it's, it's not California. Thankfully, we had a movie to watch that day. Um, it was a movie called The Day After Tomorrow. I think one of the youth leaders or one of the kids brought it, and, and we were going to watch this movie. It was a, uh, a typically cheesy catastrophe movie, but it was better than looking outside for two and a half hours. The, the basic gist of the movie is that because of global warming, uh, a new ice age is threatening to destroy the earth. Now, thankfully, uh, Dennis Quaid comes along and he, he saves the entire world. But, but we, we watch movies like this or we hear stories like this and we might think to ourselves, I wonder if something like this could really happen. Could, could something come to our earth, some natural disaster, some catastrophe that would just kill us all? No. God has made a promise here. God has said, I will preserve the seasons. I will preserve this world until my appointed end. And that is when Jesus Christ returns as the judge. That's God's promise to us. Now, that doesn't mean we can go trash the earth. It it, it doesn't mean that, that we don't have any responsibility to care for the earth. But we don't have to live in fear. We, we don't have to turn climate change into our religion, which is what many people have done. It's a reminder to us 
But God will not send some kind of worldwide cataclysm that will destroy us all. He's promised not to do that. One final thing. The Noahic covenant is a reminder to us that the greatest hostility has ended. I said to you earlier, the Noahic covenant is not a salvation covenant. It's not a salvation covenant like the covenant of redemption or the covenant of grace. The, the covenant of, of Noah or with Noah is a covenant that God has made with all life. But that doesn't mean that we can't see how the Noahic covenant ultimately points us to the salvation that we have in Christ. You see, here's my point. You and I have the added benefit of how to look at rainbows. First of all, the world has taken the rainbow from us and making it something wicked. But we have the added benefit of looking at a rainbow. The unbeliever can look at a rainbow, and, and if the unbeliever knows his Bible, the unbeliever can say, hey, I remember in Genesis somewhere, somewhere in the Bible, where God said he would never send another flood upon the world. We can also look at rainbows as Christians. And we can remember that from God's perspective, remember that rainbow is flat. It's horizontal. The bow has been set down. The greatest demonstration of God's love is that he sent his son so that the hostility between God and sinful man might be over. So that because of Jesus, the bow of God's eternal wrath would be set down. And if you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has set the bow of judgment down. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The bow has been set down. The bow is horizontal. The bow that was vertical, the bow that was pointed at you, the arrow of God's judgment that was pointed square at you before you were a Christian has been set down. And it will never be taken up again. And now the world continues on today so that the full number of God's elect will be brought in. That means, of course, that we have a task we have a task to, to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. But Christian, every time you see a rainbow, yes, remember that God will never make a, break a promise. But secondly, also remember that because of Jesus, the bow of his wrath has been set down. Never, ever to be picked up again. And so we are reminded in this covenant of the great grace that he has shown us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness to his gospel promises. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity we have to study your word. We thank you for the reminder of your faithfulness, your love. Help us, Lord, to be those who model that love to others. And every time we see a rainbow... May we remember, great is your faithfulness. And may we remember as well that the bow of your wrath for the Christian
has been forever set down so that we are no longer under your condemnation. We thank you for that grace. Lord, we don't deserve it. We pray that we would live our lives to honor and to praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name.